Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Well, good morning. Wonderful to see everyone on this Lord's Day and Christmas Day. Uh, we come to the culmination of our Advent series, which we started at the beginning of the month. And uh, we've just gone through chapter 1. And we're just going to look at the first few verses of chapter 2. So we've seen the genealogy and seen how the gospel uh, so beautifully comes through the, even the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then uh, we saw the, from Joseph's perspective the account of the pregnancy of Mary. And we saw that the coming of Christ brings disruption. So I think that's important for us to remember even today. Uh, because I think there can be sort of this this disconnect uh, over December where we're, you know, joy to the world, we should all be happy, everything should be great, and yet uh, disasters continue. We saw just yesterday, I'm sure many of you saw the news of that explosion of that uh, tanker in Boxburg, and people killed, and terrible suffering and tragedy. Uh, many people, even in my own family, have, have died over December period. Suicide rates are on the increase. And so we're not saying uh, the coming of Christ has made everything great and there's no more problems. We're saying uh, the coming of Christ has brought the issue, the fundamental issue, as we saw last week as well. The issue of our sin can be dealt with and that there is hope for a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more death no more suffering. So don't be surprised if your December is maybe horrible at times. Uh, we are not saying, well, because it's Christmas, everything's going to be great. Uh, we're still in a fallen world. Uh, we still have sin. We still have death and suffering and misery. Um, and also to note that this is not the only day of the year that we talk about Jesus. Any church worth its salt should be talking about the Lord Jesus Christ every Sunday. Uh, his death, burial, resurrection, and His coming again. We are a Christocentric church. We believe that all of Scripture points us to the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is the center, that He is our Savior, that He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so if you're visiting, this is not where you stay. When you go back home, make sure you find a church that proclaims Christ every Lord's Day. Uh, if you're in the area, we hope that you do find a home here. We are a church that proclaims Christ every Lord's Day. So we're going to look at the passage that was read to us. I'm not going to read through it, so, but keep your Bibles open. Matthew chapter 2, from verse 1. And uh, today we're going to look at uh, two aspects, so two headings. Uh, wisdom and worship. Those are the two headings, wisdom and worship. And this account that was read to us about the coming of these wise men and their interaction with Herod, 
uh, really is a story of contrasts. And the more I study Matthew, the richer I find it to be, uh, the more insights I, I discover. It, it really is remarkable the way he, he has uh, recorded this account. But this is really a story of contrasts uh, between the wise men and Herod and the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And for those who don't know, Matthew is a gospel written primarily to a Jewish audience. Uh, so he's writing to the Jewish people of the time, trying to show them that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is the true and rightful descendant of King David, that he is the King of Israel. Uh, but it is also Matthew's intention that the Jews understand that the gospel is not parochial. Christ has not come to be a, you know, a little uh, provincial king of a little area in the Roman Empire of just a, you know, a little piece of land in Palestine. But he has to be, come to be king of all the nations. And so it is in Matthew that we end with the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. And even right here at the beginning, uh, we have something quite startling. We are introduced to these wise men. So look at verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And so they come to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, I think most of us have a romantic view of these men or the the situation, this account in the Bible. Uh, maybe even this year, you went to watch a nativity play somewhere. Uh, schools put them on. Churches sometimes put them on. You can watch them on TV. And uh, even in our home, we have a little nativity set uh, that Lisbon loves to put up. Uh, and in the little set, you'll have the stable, and then you'll have you know, some shepherds and some animals, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And then, how many wise men will there be? For 500 points? <laughs> Three. Three wise men. Okay, and so that's common. That's how we, we understand it. Well, that's wrong. Okay? Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us how many wise men there are or were. Uh, we get that from the three gifts that are brought. But we just don't know if there were three or five. The Eastern Church says there were twelve. But the Bible just doesn't tell us. Uh, secondly, the wise men are not there at Jesus' birth. Uh, we'll see if you, if you paid attention. They came to them when they were in a house. I don't know if you noticed that. But Jesus was born in a stable. And so this is later on. Uh, you can even see that in later, later on in Matthew when Herod goes to kill the baby boys. It's those that are two years old and younger. So this is later on. Jesus is, is not just a newborn. It's a little bit later. So you wouldn't have had all the people there together at the same time. Uh, and secondly, uh, or thirdly, uh, these, these, this, this account of these wise men coming is actually shocking. As with most things, I think, in, in the scriptures, uh, familiarity has not necessarily bred contempt, but it has bred a loss of shock. Uh, if you've grown up in a sort of Christian tradition, we, we think we know the stories, we know the parables, we know all of these, these things, and so we, we're used to them. We, we miss out on how shocking and startling so many things are, as we, th we saw with the genealogies. 
How disturbing and shocking it would have been to the Jews to read of these ladies being mentioned in the same breath as King David or Abraham. Uh, And so it is when we come to these men. First of all, these men are Gentiles. They're not Jews. They are outsiders. They're not part of the commonwealth of Israel. Okay? Uh, And so Matthew, right at the beginning, right up front, wants to show his Jewish audience, God loves the Gentiles. God loves Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews. He is saving people from all nations. They're from the East. Not the East Rand. Okay? I'm from the East Rand. Uh, And that's okay. They're from the East. In in the Old Testament, the East is not a good place. When Adam and Eve are exiled from the Garden of Eden because of their sin, they are sent eastward. When Cain is exiled because of his murder of Abel, he is sent east from the Garden of Eden. The traditional enemies of Israel in the Old Testament come from the East. Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, where Jonah goes, that empire that comes and attacks the people of God and takes many of them exiled comes from the east. The Babylonian Empire, or the Persian Empire, with Babylon as its capital, is from the east. That is the, the, the nation that destroys Jerusalem, destroys the temple, and takes many people captive. And so in the Old Testament... To come from the east is not a good thing. It is a picture of exile. It is a picture of being uh, outside of the people of God. It is where God's judgment traditionally comes from. On the people of God. And yet these men come from the east. And then they're not kings. This is a good translation. They are wise wise men is a better translation. But we, have, we, have, we even have that song, you know, these, these three kings... Uh, but they're not kings. The Greek word is magi, which is where we get the word magician from. Okay. These were men who, in we, most commentators think they came from Babylon, uh, were involved in astrology, studying the stars and trying to find wisdom from the movement of the planets and the stars. Uh, people still do that today, don't they? Uh, they have their star signs and they check every week. That, that, the people who write those things, these are the, the wise men. That's what they would do. They would study, probably you know, a lot more intellectual than, than the person who's writing the column in the, in the star. Uh, but that's the idea. They were the elite of the Persian Empire. They were the wise people. They studied. They looked at the signs. They looked at the weather. They looked at all of these things. They thought deeply about these things. They were the people you would go to for advice in life. And so these people, that in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is very clear, if an Israelite were to practice these things, what should happen to them? They should be put to death. So think again of the story now. When you hear Jesus is born and these wise men come to him, Try and recover something of the shock for the original audience. How dare these people come? These are witch doctors. That's whatever culture you come from, think of the elite, the people that you go to for wisdom. 
coming to Christ. So maybe here in Joburg it might be some atheistic Witz professors, the intelligentsia. They come in and they're bowing down before Christ. Or maybe in a rural area, it's the witch doctors, the Sangomas, coming down to bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. People that are rejected in certain circles, they were rejected in Jewish society. It was an abomination. Gentiles from the east, from Babylon, our enemies who, who murdered our ancestors, who took us into exile, who humiliated us, who mocked us. Who told us to sing those happy songs. These people come. These people who study the stars are into witchcraft and magic. They come. And they bow down before Christ. They were truly wise men. The Bible has, even in the New Testament, we've seen in Acts chapter 8, Simon Magus. Magus, Magi, he was a magician. Acts 13, Elymas, the magician, the sorcerer. Paul says this about him. You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. That's the the framework of magicians, sorcerers. That's who these people were. They studied the stars and they see a star coming out of Judah. And Numbers prophesies about a star arising from Judah. And they see it and they, they think... This means something, that someone important has come, and they head out. It doesn't lead them straight to where Jesus is, because they first go to Jerusalem. But they are seekers. They're wanting wisdom, and every human being wants wisdom. What does it mean to want wisdom? What is wisdom? It's not just knowledge, but it's to know how to apply that knowledge and to live well. To to live a a happy life. Whatever you define happiness is. Uh, we, the world has its people who tell us this is what the good life is. This is how you need to live your life. We have our intelligentsia. We have our clever people, our gurus, that tell us this is, this is the key to a successful life. But the wisdom of the world is always changing, isn't it, right? It's always in flux. What people said 15 years ago, what the academics said 15 years ago, is, is laughed at now, isn't that right? People say they were totally wrong. People said, you just teach gender and sexu- sexuality is biological. Now they say that's not really true. They're always changing. You know that uh, the intelligentsia 100 and, over 100 years ago believed in eugenics. We should get rid of people who are not so clever. If we want to have better human beings, we should get rid of the poor and the sick so that they're not allowed to breed and reproduce. That's how we're going to, we're going to build a better humanity. Uh, and now people would frown upon that. Okay? But Hitler was just following that out. That was what the intelligentsia in America, in Germany, in Europe taught. We need to get w- rid of weak genetics. And of course now, people say, that's horrific. How can you even think like that? But that's what the world was saying. And so I'm just simply, I could give many other examples, but simply to say this, you cannot trust the wisdom of the world because it's always changing. You put your confidence in it now, the things that your parents held to, we laugh at. Things that your grandparents held to you, we think are actually disturbing. (laughs) 
It's because the wisdom of the world is always changing. And these men are truly wise because they realize that. Why does Matthew start this account, his account like this? He is saying the very elite of the Persian Empire from Babylon, they come and bow down before Christ. They realize that there is a wisdom greater than, than their wisdom. And if, you're, if you are a true seeker, I think G.K. Chesterton said, the reason you open your mouth is to close it on something. You know, people now are enamored with, I'm a seeker. I'm a seeker. I'm a seeker. It's not the destination, it's the journey. I, I'm like, that is the silliest saying I've ever <laughs> heard in my life. It's not the destination, it's, it's always the destination. Okay? Uh, it's about where you're going. But it's trendy for everyone to just say, I'm a seeker. Not to be dogmatic, never to arrive at a conclusion. And as Chesterton said, no, the reason you open your mouth is so you can shut it on something. These men were wise seekers, but now they shut their mouth. They realize this is wisdom. This is truth. And if you are truly seeking, you've come to the right place. Because you're going to hear about the one who is wisdom. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, Christ is our wisdom. Every other form of wisdom, every guru, every prophet, every founder of a religion will say, this is the way to wisdom. This is the path. This is how you should live. But Jesus comes on the scene and he says, no, no, I am the way. Paul says he is our wisdom. He didn't come to just show us this is how you should live. Be nice to one another. Be kind. You know, everything that you hear around Christmas, we should all be nice to each other. We should all smile a lot more. January, then we can rip each other off in business again. Uh, <laughs> then we can hoot at everyone and shout and swear, etc., etc. But, you know, December, we try to be nice because that's what Jesus would have wanted. That's what all religious leaders want. We should just be nice to each other. That's nonsense. I grew up in a school where that's what I would hear. Went to boarding school. That's all they would talk about. Be kind to one another. Just platitudes. Christ doesn't come with that. He says you need to lose your life. You need to die to self and follow me. I am the way. Not this is a way. I am the way. The truth and the life. He is our wisdom. And so if you are truly seeking, come to Christ. Come to him. Even if you are a believer, keep coming to him for your wisdom. Don't. There's so many voices out there, aren't there? The world has so much to say to us all the time. It panders to our lusts, doesn't it? Keep coming to Christ and his word. That is where true wisdom is, is found. And so these were truly wise men. Look at them, verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so this is quite remarkable. 
Herod hears about, you know, these, these wise men are coming looking for this king of the Jews. Herod is the king. So he's distressed about this. And he says, he calls the chief priests and the scribes, the religious leaders. And he inquires of them, where is the Christ, the Messiah, to be born? Isn't this remarkable? He knows. Okay, where, where is the Messiah that is prophesied? Where is he going to be born? And they don't have a problem They know exactly where he's going to be born. They go to Micah chapter 5 and they say, here it is. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And yet if you know this story, Herod Herod does not love the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? Herod seeks to murder the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet Herod had far more light than those Gentiles, didn't he? These, these religious leaders knew exactly what the scripture said. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. That's where he's coming from. So here's a challenge. You might come here every Sunday. You have a lot of light. But like Herod, like these religious leaders, it has not transformed you that you actually bow down before Christ as your wisdom. And somebody else has less light, but they've come to the understanding of who Christ is. And so Matthew is confronting the religious leaders. And so don't confuse information for wisdom. You might know a lot about the Bible. You might know the you know, Westminster Confession or the Baptist Confession. All of those things. Be totally self-righteous, totally full of yourself. Be like Herod. And so that's wisdom, the first part. We should be like the wise men. Realizing that our wisdom is finite and fallen and frail and the wisdom of this world cannot satisfy and is constantly changing. And we come to Christ, that he is our wisdom. The second aspect is worship. My Old Testament lecturer, uh, not my Old Testament uh, he taught, taught me Hebrew. Not very well. It wasn't his fault. <laughs> it was my fault. Uh, but very insightful uh, lecturer. But one of the key things, and you, and you can take this away, when you read a passage, look for words that are repeated. Especially in narratives, especially in stories. Because often in stories, the author doesn't tell us. In conclusion, this story means this. Sometimes you say, what does that story mean? I wonder what, you know, what's going on here. Well, look for words that are repeated. And one of the words that you may have noticed that is repeated in this section is worship. Worship is repeated over and over again. When the wise men come, they say in verse 2, we want to come and worship him. Uh, Herod says, Tell me about him. Where, where, where can I come in? Worship him. It is a word that is repeated. And so this passage is contrasts about worship. Now what is worship? Every human being worships. Even if you're here as a secular atheist, the reality is you are a worshiper. Every human being worships something. Uh, John Calvin said our hearts are idol factories. We keep making things to worship. We keep creating things that we, we want to worship. 
Now, what is your idol? It is the thing that gives your life fundamental meaning. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 6. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's what moves you, what gets to your heart, what keeps you going every day. That's your treasure. That's your idol. That's what you worship. It doesn't mean that you have to have made a little statue of it. Sometimes people do that, but it doesn't mean that. It means what, what is functionally driving you. That is what you worship. And every human being worships something because we were created to worship. We were created to worship God, but through rebellion we've, what does Paul tell us in Romans? We've substituted God. We've replaced God. We've worshipped the creature rather than the creator. We worship other things. And those things can never satisfy. Really important. I know those of, those of you who are younger don't, perhaps don't yet realize that, don't yet think that. Uh, you still think, once I have my career, then I'll be happy. Once I've finished my studies and I have my own career and I have my own disposable income, uh, it's like, let me tell you, even when you've got a job, you never have disposable income. Okay? <laughs> uh, you think, once I have that, then I've got everything. You know, then I'm, I want to travel, I want to do this. Once I have my career, I, w- I will be satisfied. That's how far you think. And then you think maybe, once I'm married, then... I will be satisfied. Or once I have children, then I will be satisfied. Whatever it is, you keep thinking this thing will make us make me happy. Those of you who are older realize, no, it's, it doesn't. It doesn't ultimately satisfy. Does it mean those things are bad? No, not at all. It means you're abusing them. You're looking for something from them that they cannot provide. You're using your iPhone as a hammer. You're trying to take something, a good thing that God gave as a gift, and you're trying to make it the ultimate thing. And so if you worship money, you will always feel poor. Isn't that right? Haven't you ever wondered, like, if I was Elon Musk, before he bought Twitter, <laughs> then I would just buy an island... Okay, I'm not talking as a pastor now. And, and <laughs> I love you. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, but have you ever thought, like, you could just do whatever you like. You could build your own Formula One track on the island. You could, whatever your heart desires. You think, surely. But no, what do they keep doing? More and more. They want more. Are they ever satisfied with how much? No, they're never satisfied. If you worship looks, beauty... You'll always feel ugly, isn't that right? Can I have an amen? (laughs) That's true. You will always notice that imperfection. You know that's true. The most beautiful people on the planet always feel too fat or too thin or too this or my nose is too big or too small. My ears stick out too much. And you think, but sure, my goodness, God has blessed you with wonderful looks. You have nothing to worry about. But what is it? They worship their looks. They are afraid of age. They live in... They worship this thing that is destroying them. If you worship love, 
you will always feel unloved. You think this thing, I want to be loved. You will always feel unloved and you will do anything to try and get love. People will give themselves, give their bodies to try and get love. Is love a bad thing? No, it's a glorious thing. It's from God. But if you worship that, it will destroy you. If you worship power, you'll always feel powerless. Isn't that right? And you'll have to keep oppressing and hurting and dominating. And more and more and more and become more power hungry. Because you'll feel threatened and powerless and not in control. And you're not in control. Okay? Not in control of the traffic. You're not, you and I are not in control of the weather. We're not in control. If you worship respect, I want people to respect me. You'll always feel disrespected. And so then you'll always have to correct people all the time. You can never let anything slide because that's a, that's a slur against you. You better respect me. And so you confront everything. You can't let love cover certain things. Every, you have to be proven correct in every situation. Because you must respect me. If you want popularity and you worship that, I want people to like me, you'll never ever confront anyone. You'll never say anything's wrong because you want everyone to like you. These idols, we worship these things every day and all of humanity does. So don't think worship is simplistic like worshipping a statue or something like that. It's much deeper. We do it all the time. Verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. If you know the story, that's a chilling passage, isn't it right? He wants to murder this, this baby, this toddler. And he's happy to murder all the male toddlers in a village. He's a psychopath. He killed his own children. Killed his own wives. If he felt threatened by anyone, he murdered them. This is Herod the Great. Okay? Most people, when they have great after their name, you know they're psychopaths. Okay? <laughs> Peter the Great. Alexander the Great. Okay? <laughs> Ivan the Terrible. That's an appropriate one. But... Uh, but why was he great? He built amazing structures that are still in existence. These incredible, incredibly beautiful buildings. Uh, he pushed, I think, engineering and architecture and art and beauty. Uh, yet he was a monster. Made in the image of God, could do incredibly beautiful things. And yet, he was not a true worshipper. And again, I'd say, if you, maybe you're like Herod, you're a pretend worshipper. You actually hate him and wish he didn't exist. You feel threatened by him. And when his, when his word comes as king to say, this is not how you live, you hate it. You hate him. You see him as a tyrant. Remember the parable? Uh, Lord, I, I, thought, I knew you as a hard man. Okay? If you see Christ like that, you don't know him. But you're a hard man. No, his laws are liberating. The perfect, James says, the perfect law of liberty. When God says, this is how I want you to live. Not to lie, not to steal, not to blaspheme. Not to be sexually immoral. 
Not to covet what other people have. It's not because he's a hard man. It's because he loves us. And when our hearts are in the best place, we delight in his law. Isn't that right? Like David, I delight in your law. But Herod, Herod could, he felt threatened. There can be no other king. I will be the king of my life. I will be the king of Judea. He was a false worshiper. Pretended to worship Christ. Said he wanted to, but didn't really. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, a star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And look at what they did. And they fell down and worshipped him. True worshippers. They didn't have even the inside of a Herod. They didn't have all the knowledge. They didn't even know the prophecy of Micah, where he would come from. But they knew enough. Isn't it ridiculous that they're in a, in a, in a little village, Bethlehem, even to this day, it's, I understand, it's still a little village. Going to a little village, these, these are people who come from Babylon, you know, had one of the one of the most beautiful cities in the world at one time. Uh, all the pomp and ceremony and prestige and power, and yet they're willing to come into this little village, into this little home. There's this this young girl with a baby, a toddler. It's surreal, isn't it? It's ridiculous that they would bow down and worship. They realize this this is the one. This is the king. This is the Messiah. This is wisdom. In their limited understanding. And they embrace it. And they fall down and they worship. It's, it's, it has to be our response as well to Christ. To worship him. To make him our treasure. When you don't want to get out of bed. The thing that drives you isn't well I need to make more money. It's. It's because Christ has saved me and loved me and has given me another day to serve him and to be salt and light. When there's trials in life, what's going to get you through? One of the ways you can tell an idol in your life is when it's taken away, how it affects you. If your whole world falls apart, it means it was an idol. And so praise God when he does that. It's a good thing. Okay. Because he loves you too much to let you waste your life on something less than him. So they worship him. I don't know what Mary and Joseph thought. (laughs) Here are these magicians from the east coming into their home. Falling down before this this little baby. And then look at the gifts they bring. I got chocolate today. Look at, the, the, look at this for a little baby. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. All of these costly. Incredibly costly. These are gifts for a king. They realize this is a king. This is the king. And they give him what costs them. And so coming to Christ, we're not saved by what we give. But if you realize who Christ is, you will give 
yourself. You will give yourself. And here's the great irony that we battle with so much, is that when you lose your life, you find it. We think the opposite. I, I need to control my life. I need to... I need... I refuse to lose my life to Him. Because then I won't have anything. And yet the Bible teaches the exact opposite. Unless you lose yourself to Him, you will never be free. I was trying to think of an analogy for this. And maybe you've seen those children on the side of the road... Uh, young children, you know, 10, 11, 12, begging. And then you see them sometimes on the side with the brown paper bag and the glue. It's heartbreaking. It's a terrible sight. And you see, and, and uh, a friend of mine was involved in ministry helping them. And he would say, hey, brother, there's some children at the street corner. He says, no, we know them. We've had them several times. And what they do is they bring them in to, to a safe environment. They bring them into shelter and three meals a day. But he says they don't want it. They go back out. Are they free now? They think they're free. They're not free. They're enslaved to their addictions and brokenness. That's the reality. If they came in, they received the shelter and love and education. You see, they would have to lose their lives in order to find freedom. Isn't that right? That's a, a simple, hopefully helpful analogy. Come to Christ. Lose yourself. You won't, he, he never abuses those who come to Him. He never hurts those who come to Him. He laid down His life for those who come to Him. Come to Him. Lose yourself. How humbling for these great men in their society to bow down before this little baby in a little, a little hut in a little village. Yet they, they did it with joy, with exceeding joy. They come and they worship. I'm not going to go through all the gifts, but simply to say this, that even in the myrrh, it points us to something, something startling. It's prophetic of his death. Remember when he died, Nicodemus came and brought myrrh to embalm his, his body. But he was born to die. That's what he came to do. He came to, uh, Luke tells us, it's a wonderful account. He's doing miracles and everyone comes, but he moves to another city and he says, I came to preach the gospel. He didn't come to heal everyone from their sickness. He didn't come to do all that. He came to preach and then to lay down his life as a ransom for many. And here is a prophetic aspect to it, even in the gift that is given to him. Myrrh, bitter. He's going to. He's going to die. That's the only way to atone for our sins. But it doesn't end there. If it did, then we're of all men most miserable. If, he's, if we can all go visit, you know, everyone has a piece of his bones somewhere, relics. No, he rose again on the third day. Conquered death, hell and the grave. And that's why you can entrust your life to him. Because he conquered death. And if you're in him, so will you. And so in closing, are you a wise person? It's not how many letters you have after your name, it's whether you know Christ. And, yet, and are you a true worshipper?
bowing down before the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to sing just now a holy night. It talks about us bowing down before Him. That is the appropriate response to worship Him. To lose yourself, to give your life to, to Him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we do ask that you would work by your Spirit. Uh, we thank you for this marvelous account in, in Matthew, this account of contrasts. Pray, Lord, that everyone here and everyone who's watching and those still to watch, that every one of us, Lord, would be in the same camp as the wise men. No matter what our background, no matter where we come from, maybe. Uh, no Christian background, maybe uh, on every level a terrible background, a pagan background. It doesn't matter. As these men show us, the gospel is for all who will come. May we all be true seekers and true worshippers. That we would lose ourselves, that we might know true freedom and true life. Holy Spirit, only you can change our hearts, and so we ask that you would do this. Uh, we pray for the rest of the day that you would give us rest in you. And uh, we do pray for all those who have suffered loss this month and are suffering, and their pain has been exacerbated, their loneliness has been exacerbated over this period of, for many, pseudo-joy, fake happiness in the shops and everywhere that they would come to you, the true wisdom, Lord Jesus Christ. That they would try and find comfort and joy in you. Please do this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.